Hyperfixation Nation, the podcast with your host, Blake. In this episode of Hyperfixation Nation, I will be discussing the book series Keeper of the Lost Cities, written by Shannon Messenger. I will cover why I love the series, my thoughts on the moral of the three main groups, and Team Fosterkeef versus Fitzvie, which are two ship names for two couples. I will also cover a little bit about my journey with this hyperfixation and why I consider a hyperfixation and not just a love because it's been going on for so long. Okay, so I've been reading this series since I was about eight or nine years old when my sister got me books one through five for my birthday and it's kept me hooked ever since. Cube of the Lost Cities, also known as KOTLC, which I may say it like that, is a fantasy book series that has some romantic drama, but it's not the main plot point. It, it has relatable characters, and it has a decent amount of representation of different groups. If you enjoyed Percy Jackson by Rick Riordan and Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling, you probably will like KOTLC because it is in the similar like genre, like style of writing and stuff as those. I have loved these books for so long that one could say it's just a love and not a hyperfixation, but every time I read one, I cannot stop. I just love reading, and I keep reading and reading and reading, and I go into the next one until I finish the series, no matter where in the series I start. And while my interest levels may go up and down, I still absolutely adore these books, and will talk about it to anyone at any time. So it is definitely a hyperfixation, because when I get into it, I am completely taken over by my love for it it just it is all about that and i'm reading any free moment i get which is kind of bad for school so you know that that works <laughs> but i i am just in love with the series and while it doesn't have all the representation i would like like there aren't any openly queer characters or open like people with disabilities and stuff it has m- other representation it's a good story and so it can it could improve it's not perfect but it is still amazing and i absolutely love it so i will be talking about that next but first spoiler alert i'll be talking about everything that has happened in the published book so far maybe not everything but i'll be covering stuff that happened in all of them so if you've not read books one through nine then there may be some spoilers and if you haven't read any of it and don't plan on it you'll just get like a whole bunch of in my opinion the highlights and all the cool stuff, and you get to hear me and my, like, oh my god, it's so amazing talking about it, so hopefully you enjoy it. (laughs) Okay, I'll get into my love for it, and why, in a little bit. Okay, so... Why do I love this series so much? One, it is a fantasy series. The characters are relatable, which not all of them have because like some fantasy series, it's like these people are 12 years old and they're fighting for their life. But in the first book, when the main characters are like around like 12, 13, they, one, I mean, they're sort of fighting for their life, but it's not by choice. They're not like, okay, I'll go do this. It's more like, okay, I got kidnapped. (laughs) And like, it's just, it has... A lot of variety in how the characters react to stressful situations and while because it is a story they react in some ways that most people wouldn't like okay yeah I have magical abilities so I'm gonna like make this person float but like I wouldn't do that because I can't make people float sorry (laughs) and they are just human which some things don't show like they show 
the superhuman aspects more and this shows just like they are just teenagers they have to deal with teenager things like you know you love this person but do you and it's this whole drama and like because of that is a whole love web between the friend group and stuff and not just a friend group it's a really big friend group but it isn't just a triangle like there are so many different people who are like I like this person, I have a crush on this person, this is true love, it's just, it's chaos, but it's also so interesting, because not all of it is said, like, explicitly, and so it's really cool, (laughs) um, and so that plays into, actually, how the villains act with the group, like, they target people they know they like, but maybe they actually like this one person more, and so it's a little chaos, and the villains are just trying their best, in a sense, so you can see that they're human, they aren't really all bad, like, the villains... Yes, their path to their goal is kind of violent and not great for people, but they do have, like, the right reasons. Or not right reasons. They just are so interested in doing what they can and doing it. They're, in some sense, trying to make the world a better place. They're just doing it all wrong, and their version of better place is better for them and maybe not other people. So that's what makes them villains because they're going against, like, you know, the main group and that's the main conflict of the series. But they're also, like, relatable. Like, one of the villain leaders is doing all of this because of her son and she's actually hurting her son in the process, but she has kind of a side that you can understand where she's coming from, which is something that is really interesting. And that is, in my opinion, what elevates good books from great to great books is when the villain isn't just villain. And in Keeper of the Lost Cities, the good guys aren't 100% good either. Like, they have made mistakes because they're human. And they have mixed history with their actions, which I'll be getting into later. But, like, they change over the course. Like, at the beginning, you can't tell if they're the good guys or the bad guys. And then later, they just seem to be trying to do all they can, but maybe it's not always going right. And it's just so cool because you see the character development and how human they actually are, even though they're technically not human and they're elves. But they don't have pointy ears unless they're, like, really, really old because they're, like, not immortal, but they can't die of old age. They stop aging and they get to adults. But that's that's all complicated stuff. (laughs) But I just love how no matter which side it's on, like, you can understand. Like, if you were a person actually in the series, like, and you had to pick between supporting the never seen the bad guys and the black swan the good guys you can see good reasons to join both and it honestly depends on your backstory and what you have gone through with which one you're actually going to choose so i think that's really cool the series has just the right amount of realistic fiction and fantasy and a little bit of science to it that it all mixes really well into like this little pot of amazingness and just perfect reading in my opinion at least and the books they start off small and they get bigger so you get more and more of a story each time and it's just so good like oh my god i could read these books forever now i want to read them again like start to finish like they have a whole shelf on my bookshelf just devoted to keeper books because they're just they're that good (laughs) next i'll be getting into the morals of both teams or not both, three, the three different, like, leading groups and all of that. So stick around to see more about the ins and outs of how these characters or groups are, like, good and bad.
Okay, we're gonna start with the never seen. They are they are the bad guys in a sense that they are going against the main character. But honestly, bad and good depends on what side you're on. And so Lady Gisela is one of the leaders of the group, and she has a son that is in the group fighting the Never Seen, the Black Swan. And she's doing everything she claims for her son and to make everything better. And she actually does care about her son. Like, she wouldn't actually kill him when she would definitely try to do that to others. And she has suffered a lot, and I understand where she's coming from in a sense, but also she puts her son through so much that messes with her brain in an effort to manipulate and control him. But she just, in a sense, she wants a better world because their world isn't perfect, but the way she's going about it is actually end up hurting her son, which is not what she wants. And then because she cares about her son, she gets kicked out of the group once because she hesitated, like, you know, killing him because, you know, he's her son. And so that adds a little bit of, like, dimension to the group. And then one of the other leaders, Fenton and Brant, they are both pyrotechnics, I think that's how you pronounce it, like, where they can start fire and stuff. And those are banned because of a horrible accident that happened, and so you're not allowed to use your ability if you can do that. And so they're all trying to stop that because they have been wronged and forced to live as talentless, which in this this world is, like, a class that is below the people with abilities. Like, if you're talentless, you can't marry someone who has a talent or else you're considered a bad match and people judge you for it. And so, yeah, this this world is not perfect at all. (laughs) But the Fenton and Brant, they just, they were doing it because of the bad things that the people who were leading the council, that's what they're called, have done to them. And so they were trying to overthrow it just because they had been told that they could not be who they are just because of one thing that happened so that that adds more dimension but then one of the bad guys is honestly just your bad guy who is only thinking about herself she's all about ruthlessness that's lady vespera she will do anything even if it's teaming up or trying to team up with people that are going against her the black swan just to get what she wants and then end up backstabbing them and it's she is a very evil little person And she's smart, though. That's the thing. She's really smart. Like, she's a good bad guy. But, you know, she was jailed for, like, 2,000 years and escaped. But good bad guy. You know, if you have to be in jail for 2,000 years, you're pretty smart of a bad guy. Except for, you know, when you got caught. (laughs) But anyways, they want to accomplish the same thing as the Black Swan, but have very different methods. Like, both the Never Seen and the Black Swan, the two bad group, or two groups, Never Seen is the bad group, they want to change the way the system is run because it's not a perfect system. And, you know, if you go back in history, that has been happening. You know, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the Haitian Revolution, Latin America, like all the revolutions, they all were because they had problems with the government. And, you know, these two groups both have problems with the government and their problems are similar problems. They just have different solutions and different ways of getting to their solutions. So the Black Swan, the quote-unquote good guys, they they are good in the sense that the main character's group is there and they're less into the whole violence thing and more into the trying to do it in a way that people don't get hurt. But, you know, that doesn't always end up because the main character almost dies multiple times in every book. But that's because she's also kind of crazy and doesn't really have any self-preservation. But that's okay because, you know, she's the main character and she's all cool like that. <laughs> And the Black Swan has changed a lot 
in the fir- from the first book to the ninth book. Like, they used to be a step ahead and always know more than the main character, Sophie. But now they don't know anything more than the kids, and the kids are finding things out. And, yes, they have maturity. Like, they have adult maturity, and, like, they've been through, so they have more wisdom, I suppose. But the kids have this, like, gusto, I guess, to accomplish things. And so they've gone from, like, being this all-knowing, like, super powerful people to now they have no clue what they're doing, in my opinion, or they're they're pretending they have a clue what they're doing, but they really don't, which is not really a good thing. And I know that's not exactly morals, but it's character development, and they, they keep a lot of secrets, which at the beginning made it seem like they were always a step ahead, but really they just had a little bit more information the entire time, and were just giving it away. Like, they gave a little bit to Sophie, and then they gained a little more, and so they were in this balance. But then Sophie found out all of that, and they stopped getting more information, and so their keeping secrets actually was to their detriment because Sophie, the main character, didn't have all the information to make the best decisions. And because she is the main character and the leader of multiple groups, like her friend group and stuff, she did have to make decisions and do these things and learn and it, like all of that that the adults didn't do, which seems kind of stupid. Like she's, what, 16, 17 at the end of the ninth book, I think. And, you know, she's, her whole friend group of people around that age, there's a couple little older than her, a couple little younger than her. They just all go fight battles, and they have been since they were, like, 14. Like, that's that's kind of crazy that the adults won't deal with it, but then the kids also don't want the adults to deal with it. But I'm getting back track, <laughs> or I'm getting off track. So, the, the last moral thing I have for the Black Swan is the genetic stuff they did to Sophie. So they manipulated her genetics to make her super powerful and to have an impenetrable mind so the telepaths couldn't get in it and stuff. And they did all this stuff to make her super powerful, but it always made her different. And (laughs) if you want a really, really quick summary that's kind of funny, it's like one of the characters saying, elves can't do that, Sophie, and then Sophie goes and does it, which is kind of funny, but it doesn't always happen like that, but it happens a lot. So that's cool. (laughs) But that, you can see it as bad, like, completely manipulating and hiding stuff in someone's brain like that's that's not really good that's a little messed up in my opinion because you're just messing everything up like that's 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 a little kooky you're not really giving her a choice and then claiming she has a choice (sighs) i would hate to be in her shoes i'm glad i'm not in her shoes that would suck but you know she's always fighting the council which is the people who are in power of the government right now so there's a whole bunch of elves 12 of them who have different abilities and stuff, and they all work together to govern the elf, not really country, but I guess you can call country, like civilization, I suppose. But they're not really good or bad. They're good and bad. They sometimes do the right things for the wrong reasons, sometimes do the wrong things for the right reasons, and sometimes do the right things for the right reasons and the wrong things for the wrong reasons. So they're both heroes, villains, anti-heroes, and anti-villains, which is kind of crazy. Because they're just trying to maintain an image the entire time. They're trying to maintain a united front so that they can not get, like, undermined and stuff. And they do want what's best for the elves, but they don't always know what's best for the elf civilization. And so in their home, trying to maintain an image, they may be seen as, like, doing things wrong. Which, I don't know about exactly doing things wrong, but they, they make bad decisions. They are human. They're operating as best they can with their beliefs and their opinions on how it should work, how, like, the government and the civilization should all be run, and that disagrees with the Black Swan and the Never Seen, which is why this whole conflict is happening, because some people are just 
done with having to live in a way that they think is unjust. And they have these things called like lost secrets in these caches where things that would break their mind because they're so like earth shattering get put into the caches. And so it's there, but it's really hard to access. And so no one knows it, but it's important information so much that it could hurt your brain. And so it's not the really good system. But I mean, I guess it worked when they were not dealing with the revolution and people fighting against them, but it just seems a little, a little unproductive, let's say. But that's all for, you know, morals and stuff. And next, we have Team Foster Keefe or So Keefe versus So Fitz or Fitzvie. And that's next. The two ships, amazing. See you in a bit. So I am Team Foster Keefe forever. I, to be honest, wasn't always that way at the beginning of the books. I was Team Fitzvie. But then Fitz has so much anger issues and he has issues with being the golden boy because he's always been seen as like the perfect child of the perfect family. Like they're the rich family. They have status and all of that. And Fitz at first was like, that's sort of why Sophie liked him. But then that all got to his head and when he dealt with the fact that Sophie is unmatchable because she doesn't have enough genetic information about her parents. He like went all crazy and he was like, well, no, I can't be a bad match because I'm the golden child and that's not okay. And then he almost killed his brother because the brother had his memory wiped and was with the bad guys that ever seen and then said he was going to pretend and like be good and all of that. And Fitz just never believed it. I mean, for good reason, because he was going to pretend to be good. Then when he got his memories back, he went wee off the deep end. But anyways, Albert just messed Fitz up. Albert's the brother. And Sophie, through all of that, when dealing with the way Fitz took his anger out on Sophie, was with Keith and has always had like a special bond with him and tells him things that she doesn't tell other people. And he tells her things that he doesn't tell other people. And Keith did make bad decisions with Sophie's best interests at heart, trying to protect her, but Fitz did bad things without even thinking about Sophie's feelings, and then apologized after the damage had been done, and that really split a gap between them, and, like, Fitz was the one that brought Sophie to the elven world, but he sort of used that and the fact that they're both powerful telepaths, and he always is like, but we're cognates for everything because he wants to be with Sophie. And, you know, they have had some special moments and stuff, but at the end of the day, no matter how much Sophie tried to deny it, she did like Keith, and there was nothing she could do about it because she had a little crush on Fitz, but it wasn't a healthy relationship because of the way Fitz acted. Like, he needs to work on himself before he can handle being in a relationship with another person because he has so much going on with himself, which I guess is, at the end of the day, that's the thing. Keith has things going on with himself and uses other people to support him. Like, he's okay with that, but he doesn't take out, it you on know, like, he doesn't project his trauma and stuff onto other people, which I think is, at the end of the day, what separates them. And, you know, that's my opinion. So Keith, Team Foster Keith, forever. They are amazing. But, yeah, that's that's all of it. I think Team Foster Keith definitely has more pros than cons. And Team Fitzvie has less pros than cons. But, you know, that's just my opinion. My very educated and researched opinion. 
But, you know, still an opinion, not a fact. But yeah, that's that's about it for today. So that I hope you make an educated and, in my opinion, the right decision about Soki versus SoFitz. Next episode will be about weird but true facts that made my mind spin, and I hope will do the same for you. They made me rethink, like, all about the way the world works and why it's like this and the way the English language works, and it's just crazy. But I hope you enjoyed the episode, learned something new, and had fun. This is Hyperfixation Nation, hosted by Blake. Goodbye, y'all!